Hello and welcome back to the Millennial Ag Podcast, where agriculture is always on tap and no topic is off limits. Thanks for joining us today You're with your co-hosts, Catherine Lotspeech and Violin Pawhorn. And also we have Harper Lotspeech with us this week. This episode is brought to you by Mystic Lubricants. For a look at their full range of top quality products, visit mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K-L-U-B-E-S. Listeners, welcome back to this week's episode. Um, I can't believe it's already December. It's been, um, yeah, November just flew by and snow is officially on the ground and I've hit the ski slope. So, um, and Christmas is coming. Um, so we're, we're excited for the holidays. Um, we have a very, very special guest with us this week. Um, her name is Kelly Maher. Um, and so I'm going to let Kelly introduce herself because I don't think I can do her justice. And we're excited for some fun conversation. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me, gals. I'm excited to be here. Uh, my name is Kelly Maher. I am here in Denver, Colorado, just actually north of Denver, and was really, really excited to connect with you because I happen to have kind of the confluence of a couple different things. Number one, uh, I have worked now for 20 years in politics here in Colorado and around the country. And, uh, oh, there was an election that happened last month. So that was kind of a big deal. But also, I'm a huge ag aficionado. Uh, I, A, enjoy eating, as do many people. Um, It keeps me alive. So I am so grateful for our farmers and all of those people who have committed themselves to a life in agriculture. Also, uh, about four years ago, my husband and I moved to um, Four Acres, just north of Denver, Colorado, and I kind of started an urban farming little experiment up here. Um, I have goats and chickens and guineas and ducks. I also have a pet wallaby. Um, My goats are dairy goats, so I make my own cheese and yogurt. And then about a little over a year ago, Um, I just finished a challenge. One of my girlfriends challenged me to live off of what we produce here on our little urban farm for an entire year. So I did that bananas challenge. Um, it gave me so much more respect for actual farmers, uh, unlike myself who feed more people than just themselves because I lost 84 pounds and it's not that I almost died, but like, mm, definitely if, uh, I had to live like that for the rest of my life. My, uh, lifespan might be somewhat shorter. So, uh, that is kind of me in a nutshell. I'm also the Republican political, uh, expert, I guess, which is a really gracious title that they gave me at channel nine here in Denver, Colorado, the NBC affiliate. So I've been political analysis on television with them now for gosh, almost seven years. So like lots of stuff is the answer. Well, Kelly, um, we have so much to unpack in that introduction. <laughs> sorry. <Just> yes. <laughs> sorry. You have. Thank you. I don't no, know. No, no. I don't, don't know what's already up to that. Don't be sorry. Um, I mean, number one, you have a wallaby. What? And number two, um, I mean, you're in a different sector of ag than we are. And I also make my own cheese and I want to talk about it. Wait, okay, so wait, you make your own cheese too? What kind of cheese do you make? <laughs> I do. Um, I Right now, I just use pasteurized cow's milk. I grew up oh, on nice. a, 
a cow dairy. Um, and so far I have made Havarti and cheddar and um, let's see what else. a sage derby so yeah I'm getting into it too Yum. Okay. So I do, I do pasteurize and like, look, I know raw milk people are like real, real into raw milk. Right. Uh, um, but my kind of thing is like, okay, well I think Louis Pasteur was actually like a pretty smart dude and, uh, liking, you know, not dying of listeria. So I personally pasteurize for my own uses, but goat milk, um, is just man the cheese is unflipping believable um um and also i forgot to mention in my intro you would think that like i don't know i've done media for a while in my life uh i can be found on my substack best life at substack.com where i write a weekly newsletter about urban farming I think it's super generous for you to say that my little urban farming experience is uh, counts as agriculture. I guess technically it does, but there's nothing like trying to feed yourself on like a tiny amount of land for you to realize that real agriculture is like a real thing, <laughs> if that makes sense. Well, and I think it puts... Um sustainability in a whole new light too. You know, if we oh. had to sustain ourselves on, on what we grow, how, how sustainable is that? And then is it enjoyable too? Oh, if we no, I ate a thousand pounds of zucchini because Denver, North Denver, like the soil here is basically designed for zucchini. So I ate zucchini, tomatoes, goat cheese, uh had a pig dispatched with her she was delicious but you know I mean it's it's not it is not as much fun it's different and in in some ways I I felt a lot better as I sit here at 4 12 p.m sipping coffee because I also have three and five year old sons right but it was it was a really good experiment but it's also it also really helps to open your eyes to how vibrant and wealthy we are and how easy it is to take that for granted, right? Like most people could walk into a restaurant in the middle of winter and order a salad and not ever think about how absolutely magical it is that we can do that, right? And it's it's easy to become a relativist when we exist in a world of such wealth and because of such a vibrant agriculture sector, we have the ability to really take that, all of these amazing luxuries for granted. But our great grandparents and great, great grandparents would have been stunned to be able to do the things that we just don't even think twice about. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a very cool and realistic, you know, gut check, you know, especially in times of um, world war and stuff like that, where, you know, our, our wheat supply got hashed a little bit and stuff like that and COVID and things on the grocery shelves and how we, how we kind of panicked and really it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, yeah. You just had to shop for something else, you know, but what would we have to do if, if everybody had to, 
you know, sustain themselves off of, of what they grew or, or barter with their neighbor. Exactly. Exactly. So what I'm getting from this part of our conversation is that you need to come back very, very soon, Kelly, because those are all rabbit holes that we love to go down. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I am the queen of rabbit holes. I did a <laughs> podcast for a number of years and our listeners would with a bunch of my girlfriends and our, our listener, it was, it was basically like, I, I'm, I'm an old millennial. So I'm, I was born in 83. So I'm like the oldest of the people who are still considered millennials. But it, so it was like a very Seinfeld podcast where we would just start talking about something and then emerge 25 minutes later and have no idea what our episode was supposed to be about. Those are some of our, those are some of our favorite episodes. <laughs> <laughs> So let's get to why we asked you here today in the first place. Um, so we had the election on November 8th, the U.S. midterm elections. And um, about a week later, you wrote a really interesting article that was actually sent to me by my husband, which surprised me because he doesn't really like to pay too much attention to politics, but he thought I would enjoy it. And I read it and I immediately sent it to Val and knew that we were going to have to have you on. So um, why don't you go ahead and tell us, give us the gist of what you wrote and then we'll, you know, we'll dive in a little deeper. So as I mentioned in my uh, intro, I worked in politics here in Colorado, which is where I am and nationally for almost 20 years. And it was, you know, nationally, I think people were kind of crowned with this big red wave, right? Um, that largely did not materialize the way that we thought it would, which is frankly, like, fairly surprising. I'm a Republican, and it was very disappointing to me that in a, a time which is a midterm election, which usually benefits the party that is not in power. Right. So Joe Biden is a Democrat. This election really should have favored Republicans um, and also a president in power who is largely very unpopular. He's very underwater in terms of what uh, his approval ratings that they couldn't even really look to Republicans as an alternative in the way that we were expecting they would. And that happened nationally. It happened even more so in Colorado. In Colorado, it was just basically an absolute blue blowout. <clears throat> uh, Democrats didn't just win in Colorado. They won absolutely everything that mathematically they were likely to win and then many things they were not likely to win. They won the Senate. They won the governor. They ran. They won the secretary of state, the attorney general, the <laughs> treasurer. They won uh, the newly formed 8th congressional district had had um, some really smart polling guys that there was a 91 percent chance going into Election Day that that was going to go to the Republican, went Democrat. Um, and so there there were a lot of different conversations to have there. The um, Colorado was uh, an absolute blowout. The state Senate, absolute blowout. And ultimately, I think that one of the lessons I am pulling away from this as a Republican 
is that the state of our politics at large, both here in Colorado and nationally, has gotten to a point where both parties, and especially Republicans, have really struggled about the issue of talking about people instead of ideas. And that we are defined by the bad things that Democrats do. And Democrats are defined by the Republicans that they don't like. And so I'm really struggling with looking at the two-party system when the two parties really seem to be mostly defining each other based off of the other one and really then internally fighting in a really toxic way. And so my article was really a call for people asking us all to start talking less about people and what we don't like about people and start talking about ideas and what we're going to do moving forward and what that looks like. And um, it got really, I was surprised. It got pretty big response. Um, And I was really, I was really happy about that because ultimately I think we're all better off if we can start talking about the ideas and what we stand for and stop defining ourselves based off of these kind of moving targets of personalities versus these enduring principles. Well, and it, I, I really, really, really appreciate your point, Kelly, because um, just a little bit of background um, for the midterm elections for me, my mom um, has been in the House of Representatives for four years and tried her chance in a new district um, for, for the Senate. And she has been very um, oh, very good. Um, she mm-hmm. was appointed leader. She was very, you know, and trying to be, be, be strong and listen, truly, truly listen to the people. Right. And she had to make some hard decisions, um, because Idaho is very, very red, unlike Colorado. Right. Yeah. Um, but the red, well, I mean, the, until, all the, until all the Californians come there and take you guys over too. So like, yeah. Just- yeah, that's like, what everybody's afraid of and so she, yeah like she, give it give it a decade and let's chat because you <laughs> you guys are you guys are are really the next uh you montana um and actually parts of texas are really going to be kind of the next place that this is all headed so good luck <laughs> yeah well and that's she ran on the republican ticket um mm-hmm. and got you know pulled into like the the one liberal county in the state and um mm. got beat up by not only her fellow republicans but also the mm. democrats and it was all on her personal like personal attacks and and how she voted on those hard things and her opponent never even had to come out and say what he stood for hardly you know and yeah. that's it wasn't a i get frustrated because it's not a to me that's not a fair race but i also have very personal <laughs> yeah ties to that too in the fact that you know if you have a good basketball game and both teams show up and play even and you lose you're like well we deserve to lose you know well and and look I mean there are also so many additional things that you have to put into this equation right there's there's what's happening up ticket there's the national 
there's, you know, all of these questions about, I, I think that the abortion issue had a much longer tail on it than I was expecting it to, especially with women across the country and uh, unaffiliated women or independent women in suburban areas, which largely are the deciders of elections here in Colorado and nationally. So, you know, there's, there, like, like, you have to play the hand you're dealt, right? So I would say, I would say, like, unlike, unlike, uh, maybe, maybe I wouldn't use the analogy of soccer. I would use the analogy of, like, poker, right? You get, you get a hand, and maybe there's no possible way to win that hand, but it's also possible that, if you play the cards to the best of your, you could do okay. And I think what we are not doing as Republicans, but even largely in politics in general, as a like entire industry, is that we're not playing cards smartly or honestly. Everybody's working on the ace up their sleeve, right? Nobody's working on actually playing the cards in their hand. Does that make sense? Is that is that like a good analogy? I don't know. Maybe. I think that makes perfect sense. Um, and I, you know, I really, I really admire you um, for coming out and saying this because, um, you know, it's really easy. I mean, like I was saying, like you were saying, to just get maligned on personal views um, and and personal attacks and, you know, for, for speaking the truth, honestly, um, if it doesn't match up with someone's, you know, I, ideal reality, even if it's not real reality, um, <laughs> you know, you just get attacked and, you know, you could even get canceled. And, and I mean, we could go down that rabbit hole too, but it's just stupid. Oh yeah, girl, I'm the most cancelable <laughs> of the canceled. Like, I think the thing is, one of the phrases I use a lot that has helped me that the older I get and the more I do this is just like reasonable people will disagree right and with my girlfriends from high school or my girlfriends from college or the my my liberal friends is just like well you know what here's how I see it reasonable people will disagree and then also I always try to caveat stuff with like I could be wrong <laughs> because I think that that part of this also is just this attitude that many people in politics are approaching it with. Like, this is, this is right. I am right. And if I beat you over the head with my rightness, then you will also see that I'm right. And I think that having a posture of like listening and friendship and collaboration really is actually much more gravitational than this kind of like screaming thing that's been going on lately in my mind yeah I think the screaming and the noise and the and the negativity too like why why do we have to all agree like we're all created a little differently with a you know a little different personalities with the differing opinions differing um experiences which make a very diverse culture which make us like makes it fun and so if we were all the same and all thought the same we'd 
it would be, we'd all be militarized and, you know, marching in lines. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, and look, I think, I think that this is a hard thing people ask all the time when they're like, who are you working in politics? Like, why, why is everybody so mean all the time? And unfortunately, the answer is it works, right? Like, like the math is when you have a budget and you're given a budget on a campaign, like you have to draw a contrast with the that you're running against, right? Because we aren't all the same. And I think especially in an age of social media, but then, you know, personally, one of my things that I think has really increased kind of the negativity is the increase in campaign finance reform, where when you have limits in how much you can give an individual candidate, then what you have is people who want to still say more or contribute more than what they can give. So then you get these soft money groups that come out and they speak either for the candidate that they're supporting or more likely they're speaking against the person that they do not want to have elected but because they are an outside group you are unable to use to to hold their opponent accountable to that speech so when there weren't campaign finance limits when it was toxic you could say like okay this is too far for me uh senator jones is the senator who's just like over the top being so nasty i'm gonna vote against him because of his speech but there is a federal prohibition against these outside groups coordinating with candidates and so they kind of get to set the landscape and we've seen that really take hold across the country as we have tried to deal with this question of money and politics and the thing about money and politics is it's like a river right like you throw a stone into it to try to stop it and it will just go elsewhere and so all of these organizations have popped up that do this outside political um speech and it becomes really difficult because there's really no one to whom you can for that speech. And now that it's passed and now that it's law, I don't know necessarily what is the correct way to unring that bell. Um, I don't know how to change that narrative. Uh, Here in Colorado, we've had some really, really good candidates that just got absolutely steamrolled because the amount of money that they can raise is so small compared to the amount of money being spent in their races that they can't really speak for themselves and it becomes a proxy war between like campaign operatives who maybe don't even know the candidates not to get too insidery I didn't mean to get too insidery no it has my brain just spinning because it's we've got this problem yeah you know that we've all identified and the world can see (laughs) yeah yeah but but what do we do about it? Because if we want maybe a moderate red wave or we want more moderate candidates to come in um, and and want to have a voice at the table, specifically ag in Colorado, 
Yeah, um, well, that's gonna ooh, that's gonna be a bad legislative session. Um, I've got I've got some friends in many of the different ag groups here in Colorado. I'm like, well, this is gonna be fun for all of us, right? Yikes. Yeah. So what do we do about like, like you you be patient and wait through the next session but is there is there any hope or um... I mean well I don't mean to just like come here and be Debbie Downer right I think there is certainly hope there is hope in in I find hope in so many different places um number one I think that the the we're hitting this point in politics where the voters are telling us right? That they are tired of this way that we have been doing politics. And the reason that people have been doing negative campaigning is because it works. I mean, it just does. It works. The math is there. It, it works. And, um, but if it stops working, <laughs> then they'll stop doing it. And so I think that we're starting to get these messages from the voters that they're sick of this a b it seems like there are in my opinion several groups and people who are starting to pay attention to the structures that have created this type of situation and you know we call it a a duopoly right but it's it's the binary of the two-party system where i mean I don't know if you guys remember. I don't know how much older I am than you, but like there was a guy, Ross Perot, who kind of like ran for president. He's tried third party and some other stuff. But there are people who are starting to question the levers of how parties nominate candidates, starting to look at some of these things I was talking about in terms of campaign, starting to look at you know, what um, what the a third party could look like. Is it ranked choice voting? Is it approval voting? Is it, and really starting to dig into those questions because what we're seeing Nash, in Colorado, but also nationally is we're seeing a huge shift where nobody really likes either party. And people are fleeing from both parties to be independents or here in Colorado, unaffiliated voters. And that there's this distrust that seems to be bubbling up. And we're also seeing historic levels of distrust in many American institutions. And, you know, my husband likes to quote, um, gosh, what is that show? My husband to quote one of the you know shows he watches at night um and he he loves the quote chaos is a ladder right like at some point these systems are going to hit a flexion point and i think that that is the point where we can start to have these conversations about like what are the structures what is our attitude towards them how are we communicating is that useful or not so there's a lot to dive into just in those those last little bits that you were saying kelly but real quick we are going to stop 
um, pause here for a word from our sponsors this week. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. And we are back on this week's episode of the Millennial Ag Podcast. Uh, our guest this week is Kelly Maher, and she is speaking to us about the extreme division that we are finding um, in politics these days, especially following the last um, midterm election. So, Kelly, you've said a lot of really interesting things that I, you know, we could, I feel like we could spend six hours talking about all of this. <laughs> don't, um, don't tempt me, because I'll just be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but coming back to some of the things you said before the ad break, like you were talking about how people are are leaving both parties in droves because they don't trust the institutions, right? And for me, deciding which party I wanted to be a part of came down to, you know, the values that I was raised with, the values that I built, you know, as I became an adult. And also, like, on a more personal level, how how um you know how how people within the party behave towards one another and towards people outside of the party and I mean as you've demonstrated it's gotten awful and I don't want to be associated with either side because they are horrendous human beings who will stop at nothing to simply get a public office and in my opinion to get that public office for their own personal gain not to represent the people who elected them I mean, yeah, and and I think then the question that we have as as like look, people who are elected to public office, right? It's um for of and by the people, right? Is is the line for the people, of the people, and by the people. And the the ultimate power is derived from not to get too like founder nerdy on us, but I'm gonna, right? The ultimate power is derived from the consent of the governed. So when you go back to the founding, the this idea, and I know you guys have heard this line, because we've all heard this line. I hope, I hope, by the way, our children hear this line in public school, but I'm clear if they will in the future. But the, the idea that people are endowed with certain unalienable, unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? We all hear that growing up. But one of the things that we don't think about and that we don't talk about, but we should, is how really revolutionary that was, to coin a phrase, at the time that it was written. Because before that, the idea that humans, by virtue of being humans, come with rights just because they're humans and that they are endowed with those rights for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness by their creator. I'm Catholic, so I believe in God. But, you know, if you're an atheist, it's like, you know, a bunch of 
atoms spinning around and then big bang and then like oops coincidence but like somehow maybe there was some like design in there i don't you know however it is that we were created as humans there is something unique about us right and particularly for those of us in many of us in ag and those of us who like eat meat right is like we understand the difference between human rights and animals and that idea is something that we forget so often and so part of the reason that people will fight so hard for these public offices is because they have so much power right they they come with them all of these trappings and it's not even necessarily pay they're not even necessarily that well paid but they come with all of these advantages and i was talking to a girlfriend actually at lunch today and she asked me you know like hey would you ever run for office and i was like well a i like being married b i like having kids and c i like myself so no i don't want to run for office but the other reason i don't want to run for office and i was explaining it to her is like look i my kids are three and five, right? Like I can barely on and get them like out the door in the morning. I can barely be the boss of myself most days. I can't be the boss of anybody else. <laughs> Do not elect me because I don't want to be the boss of you. Uh, you should vote for me if you just want to be basically left alone. Like that would be my entire campaign <laughs> slogan. And I think that a lot of people are running for office for the wrong reasons and that what we are doing as citizens is we are giving too much weight, too much power, and too much incentive for people to get into these offices in the first place. And if it really was what it was designed as, which is just a servant position, it would be a hundred percent different than where we have gotten to today. And we've seen, you know, the growth of government and the growth of power of the government. And that has changed the incentive structure to run for office. It's changed the type of people who want to run for office. And that ultimately, and, and it happens in both parties, I think has created the type of situation where these public offices have become much more valuable than they were designed to be. Hello, can you just say it louder for the people in the back, please? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, if we didn't give these people that much power over us, they wouldn't run, right? Like, I, I just, I, I genuinely don't understand when we're talking about the size and the scope of government how we have gotten to this place right like like if you think about it just from a very fundamental level like why why would any corporation company entity why would you hire a lobbyist and the only reason you would hire a lobbyist is if the advantage that they can get for you from the government in terms of favors in terms of contracts in terms of structure is greater to or higher than the value of what you would pay them. And we're paying millions upon millions of dollars to 
lobbyists in this country because it works, right? Like negative campaigning works, lobbyists work. And the reason that all of it works is because the consent of the governed has allowed our government to grow to the place where it is. Sorry, totally nerding out. I have now like straight constitutional uh, dorking it up over here. So sorry. No, no this, is, <laughs> this is great. And it just has my head in a variety of different places because it's, you know, it's for me, it's a combination of a lot of things. You know, it's it's maybe the lack of involvement by the general general public is it the you know um i just need to put my head down and keep working is it you know the power hungry the money the greed you know and how do we how do we change this and how do we change the narrative so that you know we get back to a citizen legislature we get back to you know county commissioners and like we're fortunate in the state of idaho but, yeah, you know, county you commissioners that we can pick up the phone and call and say, hey, I don't like this. This is I'm and they can say, well, this is why it was established. Why don't you like it? What can we do? And back to just these real conversations. Like, how do we how do we get there, especially on a <laughs> national level? I mean, look, it took us a long time to grow to the size. It will take a long time to dismantle it. And. I mean, I think my call to you and anyone who's interested in being involved in politics is really, you know, start at the local level because it is county commissioners, by the way, who have the biggest impact on your life, right? Like who, who is county commissioner changes your life so much more than who is president of the United States, but also I think these conversations are really, really important. I think reminding people what this is all about, right? Like humans are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And before that, your rights were derived from a king, if the king decided to give it to you, right? Or a theocracy where the church decided to give it to you. And in this this like very core fundamental idea of just what is the nature of humanity and what rights come with humanity is a thing that like nobody talks about right i didn't i i i got the words when i was in school but we don't we don't have these really big hard conversations about what is the role of government what do we need to do to ensure that government stays within the confines of what it's intended to do? And how can we affect change? And the thing is, it's really easy to look at all of this and get intimidated and overwhelmed and just be like, well, I'm going to just take my little trailer and I'm going to move to the middle of the forest and I'm just going to take all of the phones and smash them under rocks and that's the end of my story right like I have that all the time I am ready to just run away to the middle of Alaska peace out maybe we'll have a reality show about me and my husband like 
fishing, right? Um, and we all get there if you think about it too much and if you let it overwhelm you because it is so big. But also, you can make the difference in a county commissioner race. You can make the difference in a congressional race. My first job in 2002, I worked for a congressman. His name was Bob Prey. By the way, Bob Prey, former dairy farmer uh, who grew up milking yes. cows. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Bob, Bob uh, won his congressional race in 2002 by 121 votes, which translates in Colorado to less than a third of a vote per precinct. So if you think about a precinct as like a fairly large geographic area here in Colorado, and he won his entire congressional race and went to Washington, D.C. based off of a third of a vote. So all of those things really like matter on the margins. And the other thing, and I started to kind of touch on it in this piece I wrote, and thank you for highlighting that. But the other thing is, one social media is a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? Like you guys, I met you guys because social media, like <laughs> send me a DM. I'm like, hey, here's the thing, you know, it, it's amazing. It's mind blowing when I think that like I can tweet about something dumb that my kids did, which is all the time. And thousands of people see it. Thousands of people see it. It's crazy. I, you couldn't have told me 20 something, 30 something years ago. Oh my gosh, I'm so old. Uh, when I was playing, you know, Oregon Trail, that this would be a thing that this, this world that we live in with these phones like couldn't have imagined it, right? But the issue becomes that rather than trying to get as much information as possible, which is what we tried to do when we were little, right? Like you got your encyclopedia, if you got it, with all the different uh, books with the letters on the side. Now the game is a game of discernment because we have all of the information, right? And so I'm not in favor of censoring, but I am in favor of smart discernment of what we let into our mental like universe, what we, what we allow come into our brains and what we read and what we consume. And for me, sometimes that's just like scrolling Insta but then I realize how sad I feel because my house is a disaster and all of these girls are like skinny and have really cute houses, right? And so it's important, I think, for all of us to be thoughtful about where we're getting our information, what we're talking about. Because it's no longer, for most of human history, the challenge has been to get access to enough information. And now the question is, how do we parse through all of the information in the world that's on a little brick in your pocket? And it's a completely different way of looking at it, but also it's really easy to get caught up in the outrage spiral, right? Where you pick up your phone and then you hear about like the terrible things that the liberals are doing right or the liberals pick up their phone and they read about like 
the terrible things that the bananas Republicans are doing and they get mad because that's the easiest and shortest emotion to have. And it's the fastest way to get clickbait, which is the fastest way to get eyeballs on their stuff, which is the way that revenue, right? Like the more listeners or viewers or readers you have, that's the incentive is to have as many as possible. And the easiest way to get it is to make people mad, get put them on the outrage spiral. We all have to decide together not to do that. And the log or the algorithms, it's like, oh, you like Biden stuff or you like um, Polis's stuff. So it sends a bunch of, you know, CNN leaning stuff or you like Trump stuff or you like, you know, that kind of thing. And then you get on the Fox News bandwagon and then you're just polarized. There's no yeah. ground anymore or fact checking. Well, and, and this is this is the hard thing, right, with especially with the new conversations that we're having about Twitter right now, you know, and Elon and, you know, like who who gets to be the arbiter of truth. Right. And, and this is this is one of these very hard and very complex conversations because there are there's plenty of evidence that there are false narratives that are being pushed. It's just true. And some people they do it for clicks. They do it to make their uh, candidate look better or worse. Or like, like there are so there are so many things at play, right? That that ultimately that's that's the game. It becomes a discernment game. And so, what I do, and I don't, you know, this won't work for everybody. But what I do is I have found a couple of people on my side of the aisle who I consider to be like pretty reliable narrators, right? And I have also found some Democrats and lefties who I don't I don't agree with their views on what what is the proper role of government or what is the best way to help us get there. But they at least I think that they are are honest and I think I, I I intentionally read and follow them even when it challenges me because I don't want to fall into this trap and, but the thing is it's hard right and when people are tired and when they've got a lot going on it is it is a lot easier to sink into our comfort than it is to challenge ourselves. And but we all have to do it or else it's like basically the apocalypse. So that'll be fun. <laughs> well, and growth yes, comes huh? when you're growth comes when you're outside your comfort zone and I it's hard to challenge yourself to get there sometimes. It's so it's so hard. But once you get in the habit of it, it becomes easier. Like, I mean, I did that year, right? Where I lived off of my farm. Like, I, I joke like an idiot. But like, I, I did that year and I find myself even now that I've like gained all the weight back, to like, you know, drinking coffee and eating pasta and whatever. Like, like my comfort places 
have been right back to where they were. I made an actual gallon of gravy for Thanksgiving. And I'm just like, oh, okay, well, I could just put this in a mug. Um, but when when I was in the habit that what I ate was my eggs, my goat cheese, my uh, pig, I named her... <laughs> I didn't want to name her. By the way, you guys have been like in ag forever, right? So you guys have completely different perspectives as people who probably did like 4-H as kids. For those of us who didn't reach this until you become an adult, <laughs> and like all I had was a dog, right? So I was like, I'm not going to name her. I'm not going to name her. It it really it really challenges the way that you look at things. And look, I've never been a vegan. I've always been a hunter. I, I always have understood that, you know, I love meat and uh, more than most, but I, I struggled with all of that. But once I was in the habit of it and eating my, my pig that I wouldn't name, but then I accidentally named Oreo cookie pig because she looked like an Oreo cookie. So really her name was Oreo, but like whatever I ate her, she's delicious. Um, but all of those things were a huge challenge to me. Because it wasn't my family of origin. It wasn't my a thing that came naturally to me. I spent so many hours trying to learn all of it and how to do it and so many mistakes. But, but the thing for me was once I got into the habit of it, it was fine. It's the same thing with politics and news consumption and social media consumption is once you get into the habit of challenging yourself then you're in the habit of challenging yourself. And it's super easy to go back, but it's so valuable to stick with it. We're gonna pause right here for another word from this week's sponsors. Since 1922, Mystic Lubricants has been providing superior performance and protection for farmers who demand the most out of their equipment. Today, Mystic continues to develop products in real-world conditions that are specially formulated to meet the unique demands of your specialized machines. They provide advanced protection for engine longevity and are the choice of people who make a living working the land. Learn more about Mystic products at mysticlubes.com. That's M-Y-S-T-I-K lubes.com. And we are back with our guest this week, Kelly Maher. She is a um, political... Hey, Lucy. Oh. commentator and um and uh you know just all around awesome human being we're learning throughout this episode um and Kelly I want to go back to some things that you said uh before our ad break um you were talking about how it's really easy to get caught up in your own echo chamber um you know and Val said the algorithms just feed you what you want to hear what you want to see and before you know it you're only seeing one side of a multifaceted story um, and I think that we can, you know, correlate direct lines from that environment straight into agriculture because we experience that all the time. You know, agriculture is another sector of humanity that is very, very, very divided, both within ourselves and when you're, you know, facing agriculture, facing out to the public. So, you know, it's just amazing to see that these these lines are not only in one part of our lives and the way that you've been talking and Harper's opinions are turning out. <laughs> um, 
the way that you've been talking about, you know, maybe some ways to kind of fix this system or to, you know, draw back from some of the extremes, I think are really good suggestions for the agricultural industry too. Yeah, I mean, so obviously my personal experience with ag is somewhat limited to my four little acres and what I make here. And, but then also, you know, from the political, the larger political landscape, I've been really fortunate to be invited to speak to um, the Colorado Farm Bureau and the Colorado Cattlemen's Association and the uh, <clears throat> Colorado Livestock Association and have really good and deep friends amongst many of Colorado's agricultural um, organizations. It, it, by the way, is really nice because I always feel when I show up there, like, you know, they're like real, ag they're real farmers. And then I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I've got my 13 goats and I'm like, oh, she's so cute. Right. But uh, they're always so kind and so gracious. But like, look, agriculture, as with many sectors, is going to be facing exceptionally tough pressure, particularly over the next, I think, decade or more, right? We have all of the inflationary issues that are going on. We have all of the supply chain issues that are going on. We have just generalized stressors within agriculture. Many, in fact, I think most people don't know that agriculture and, and people who are in agriculture are facing some of the highest rates of suicide in the entire country. It can be a really difficult and isolating life. And it is also such a beautiful and meaningful calling. And, you know, the thing that I always say when I go and I speak with these groups, my appeal is to tell your story, right? Because the same way that we don't want to get caught in our own little echo chamber, or the same way that we want to chat, or I want to challenge myself to learn more about agriculture and like like feeding people is one of the most basic and beautiful parts of humanity and so many people don't understand what that means and what goes into that and part of it is because when we've had agriculture that has become so much more effective over time and we have people moving to cities, they've become so far removed from the process that they don't think about it. <laughs> they don't think about how flippin' magical it all is. But there are people out there who are feeding literally hundreds of people. And that's amazing. And the work they do is good and important. And they feel lonely. 
and they feel scared and the landscape is uncertain and that's really really hard but people won't understand it if we don't talk about it keep preaching because that's I mean that's (laughs) a little bit of why we started millennial ag too was to to start conversations in ag that that everybody's feeling or everybody's talking about internally but nobody has the courage to to talk about it the mental health the racism the um, financial pressure succession I mean you can go on and on and on about the pressures um, of agriculture but and also the good that there is in the you know seeing the sun sunrise over the mountains that six o'clock six or seven o'clock in the morning when you're getting ready to ship calves and then the paycheck that comes after a good year and you know things like that um I'll just stay stay at home sometimes um because we don't want to be prideful we don't want to be you know we don't want to share those with things because we're scared and I and, you know, continuing to have these conversations and hearing from people that are in the media world that are, um, you know, in in urban America, wanting to hear about what goes on in the middle of Nevada, what happens in southern Idaho and Colorado. Like, that's what people want to hear. They want to hear they want to see the cow that they're eating, you know, and yeah. as harsh as that sounds, people people do want that connection. Well, and look, it's hard, right? And I, and I had I had this discussion with a lady after the livestock association because I'm like, tell your stories, and she's like, well, yeah, except people like show up with hidden cameras and try to make it crazy and terrible and like abusers, and then they try to make everybody eat like scary weird tofu, um, which like <laughs> beyond burger is really quite beyond, right? But anyway. But sorry, uh, if anybody listening is a vegan, I'm going to go with probably not. It's not not this listenership, but like it, it, it's hard, right? It's a hard conversation to have, but if there's an advantage to this social media, like crazy hellscape, it's that we can all have connections that we've never been able to have before. Right? Like, but there's also this degradation of communities that existed that supported one another. Um, you know, my my husband's family is uh, has a farm up in Nebraska, and we go up. Um, it's just like on the western side of Lake McConaughey, and we go up often. And these towns that you know, my husband's family grew up in and that my grandparents actually grew up in, in the panhandle of Nebraska are just, they're decimated. There's not jobs for people. There's not a ton of work up there. And, you know, they're, they're so different than they were 40 or 50 or a hundred years ago. And so in a lot of ways, that community that centers of agriculture had in these towns are starting to erode a because of efficiency b because of urbanization 
but we can build those communities using these tools that we have now. And I think that there's really a lot that we can do to try to pull that back together. And I just laud both of you for really taking the steps to do that with this. Well, thank you, Kelly. And I, and I, we appreciate you coming on and we appreciate you, you know, shedding light and just having conversation. And as you were kind of saying some of that, you know, it's, it's utilizing it and it's holding, it's holding ourselves accountable and holding others accountable for, for respect too. I think that's where we get off a little bit is, you know, and on the undercover videos that have come out and all that stuff over the years, but it's, it's holding people accountable. Like I'm willing to have these hard conversations, but I'm not willing to be disrespected. Um, and then holding yourself accountable for, for the same thing in return. Oh yeah, I totally agree. And that's, that was the reason, you know, I had, it was a pretty provocative thing that I was like, have people come and see what you do. Have people, and, and everybody, you know, locks down because they've been burned, which like makes sense. These like, the radical vegans are their their approaches i think are are unfair and untrue um but also the i don't think that it's healthy for the response to be well then we're just not going to we're not going to tell people what this is you know we're not going to tell our stories we're going to lock down and it look it makes sense i work in politics right which is the business that like if you saw how the sausage was made, it's just like, ugh. Um, I find agriculture actually much more beautiful than uh, the process of politics. But also, this is this is the reality of our humanity, right? Like, if you are a meat eater like I am, an animal dies, and that is true. That is just a thing that happens. And people who don't don't think about it, right? Like when you go and you get your little package of chicken or whatever at the grocery store and it's cellophane wrapped, you don't think about that. But the thing is, that is just a fact of life. It It is just absolutely a fact of life. There's actually a super good movie. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Um, have you ever heard of a guy named Steve Ranella? He's out of Montana. He actually has a podcast called, um, the meat eater podcast. Um, and he's a hunter. So my husband's a big hunter. So that, that's why, why we got turned on to it. But he has a, a, um, a movie called all the stars in the sky. And if you haven't watched it, I really suggest it because it is, it is about like vegans versus, not vegans versus hunters, but it is it is uh, struggling with some of these like ethical questions and issues. And I think we have to be honest about them because there is beauty in it. And I think that we forget that because there are some people with certain opinions who want to shame us. And I do not think we should allow that. Hey, 
Kelly, to be honest, it sounds like you grew up in agriculture with us. Um, <laughs> did not, did not. <laughs> wish I did, did not. But, but I, Valine, you know, Valine you and know. I are listening with, uh-huh. we're listening more than we're talking on this podcast because I think we really, really resonate with what you're saying. And we share those same frustrations and concerns in agriculture and in politics to go back to, you know, what the original tenet of this podcast was. Um, But I mean, the conversation has evolved so beautifully, but it, um, you know, I guess it's really encouraging to hear someone from outside the industry say these sorts of things to give that encouragement and say, no, we really do need those kinds of voices um, so as not to get lost you know, in the noise that's made by the couple of squeaky wheels, which seems to also be the case in politics. Yeah. I mean, look, there are a lot, there are so many parallels, right? Because And, and there are parallels with politics and, and everything, because, you know, what is politics if not a group of people coming together and deciding how to govern a situation? But, but like, what what you do here and what the people who are listening do is so important and is is literally like the basis off of which our entire society exists right and people forget that so easily the fact that that people walk around and are mostly not starving is really a testament to what you do and what the people listening do. And it's really important to remind people of that fact because it's easy to forget, right? It's easy to forget when you can walk into a grocery store and you can just grab something off of a shelf, even during the pandemic. And it's like, oh no, my brand of whatever it is was not available I had to substitute like the people were especially people in agriculture and people in the supply in the food supply chain were the ones who were most at risk and trying to figure it out and and struggling with all of these things and and were really the heroes of the pandemic and it's important to say that and it's important for me because it is so easy for us to forget, right? Like the same way that I don't know how old you guys are, but like the same way that it's so easy for me to forget that when I was a little kid, this brick in my pocket with all the information in the world was an inconceivable thing. It's easy for people who don't worry about where their next meal comes from to forget that there are true heroes who are sitting in combines or there are heroes who are looking at their decimated cornfields because the rain didn't come this year and trying to figure out what they're going to do, right? And there's somewhere there's a farmer who's crying because the rain didn't come and he feels like a failure. He's not alone and we need to tell his story. 
we're with you. I mean, there's there's nothing there that we disagree with. Although maybe, I mean, just one thing is that me and Valley yeah. have had issues with the phrase tell your story for a while now just because it's sort of been weaponized. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess that's um, fair, right? Within within agriculture. But I I mean something Valine and I have always talked about is like either how do we how do we rephrase that or how do we reclaim it? Um and again, just hearing your perspective gives me a lot of food for thought um on how to approach that particular problem. But I I, our our time is getting a little long here for one of our usual episodes, but Kelly, we <laughs> we are loving this conversation. I'm super good at that. Let me tell you. <laughs> we don't mind. We love having these conversations. Um, we're so delighted that you came on with us. And um, you know, before we let you go, what are what are some closing thoughts that you have? Um, you know, across across the spectrum that we've discussed here tonight. You know. I think, I think if there's a takeaway, maybe it's not tell your story. I didn't even know that that was a a thing. That was a thing because again, I'm an outsider, right? But I, I think it is just that of the ability to make an impact on agriculture issues and on politics and that we all have this we're all like in this big experiment together and that even when you might feel like you know things are too hard or you're disappointed or you're frustrated there's always something to do on the margins right like there's always some next step even when stuff is bad there's there is a way that everybody can make a difference here and i just i think it's um it's it's hard i i know i hear a baby so you know it's hard as a mom to wonder what kind of world we're leaving for our kids it's tough but i really think that shows like this and continuing to engage in culture politics is only downstream from culture right and culture is downstream from people being able to eat right (laughs) and so all of everything stems from a healthy agriculture sector and so i would just urge people in agriculture to engage with culture Maybe that's a better way to put it than tell your story. Don't shy away from it, right? Don't get turned off or frustrated. When you get turned off and frustrated, figure out a different way to engage in the culture. Because politics is just a reflection of that. Man, Kelly, I think you've you've left us a lot to chew on and you've left us a lot of hope too you know that there is change on the horizon and and those that are stuck or those that are feeling frustrated um after the midterm elections um or after a bad harvest um can can find hope in in the coming year and hope that you know it's it's one little thing that can make a big difference so we thank you for that um and i also um want to thank you for coming on today 
And where can listeners find you? Where can they find um, you on social media, on your blogging, all that fun stuff? All the fun stuff. Um, My Twitter handle is O-K-Maher, M-A-H-E-R. Unlike Bill Maher, I say it correctly. Um, And then I, my my website and my, I do what's called a sub stack, which is um, basically like a crowdfunded way to do long format writing. Um, and my sub stack and my website is called real best life. Um, you know, I guess they say there's no zealot, like a convert. Right. And so I didn't come to agriculture or I guess my little, my little version of agriculture, if you can call it that until I was an adult. So I am quite a zealot because I am a convert, but it's realbestlife.substack.com. And uh, people can people can uh, sign up and get my little my little newsletter, my little goat. I make the joke, by the way, that someday I can't wait to quit politics and I'll be a goat writer. <laughs> Ooh, get it? Goat writer instead of ghost writer. Anyway, instead of ghost writer, I, I love it. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I think I always think I'm funnier than uh so so that's where I write and where I do stuff but really anywhere real best life is um on Facebook and my Substack and on Twitter and then um you know you can also if you're in Colorado I'm on channel nine which is uh NBC here and which is where I do my political analysis and also you like just you know shoot me a message my DMs are open on Twitter so Anybody, anybody ever wants to just be friends. I, I, I always need more friends, especially friends who know how to like actually create food out of dirt and seeds, which is basically magic. Well, Kelly, I think we're officially friends. Um, and we thank you. Thank you again so much for coming on. And we thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the millennial ag podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can email us at talk to us at millennial until next week. We are millennial ag.